Hawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello and welcome into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. We're very excited today because it is the uh, pre-draft podcast. We finally reached the week where we're going to make all our selections. Everyone kind of builds up to this in the offseason because there's really nothing else to talk about. So we all go in uh, 100% on the draft. And so today's podcast is definitely going to focus on that. Uh, I'm your host, Bill Alpstead. I'm here with Keith Myers. Hello, Keith. Hi, Bill. You having a good week? I am having a good week, actually. It's, it's draft so week. far so good. It's it's a Tuesday before the draft as yeah. we record, and uh, so far uh, I've made it through Monday. Now I'm I'm you know the clock's ticking on Tuesday, and I'm 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 itching to get to Thursday because yeah. that's gonna. It's always a fun time of the year for me. I've been following the draft since probably. You know, pretty decently, at least since the like late '80s. At least buying the draft books and originally, and then when the internet came online, you'd get information on the internet and you'd print out stuff, and you'd have all that material in front of you as you're going through the draft. And um, so that's that's been fun. And then since YouTube uh, was uh, came online, we've been able to watch all these videos of these guys and break down film and stuff. So it, <clears throat> for a draft nut. You kind of you're you're almost limitless as to how far you can go with your with your crazy mental state this time yeah, of year. There's almost too much information out there now because you can go on to like draftbreakdown.com and watch these cut up videos. So it's like every play uh, or a certain player is on the field, and it only takes you about thirty minutes because they only show the play and then they jump right to the next one. And so you can end up watching, you know four or five games worth of film on almost every player in the draft. And it is addicting when you start doing it. And um, I have draft notes on pretty much every offensive lineman and a um, bunch of other position, every running back in the, um, in this draft. And uh, yeah. Okay. I'm crazy, it, it but show, I'm not that crazy. It, it shows you a little bit of where the addiction <laughs> is on this. So I, I am with you. I love the draft. This is, like my favorite time of year football wise other than, you know, Sundays when the games are being played. So I got a quick question for you though. When they changed the format from the draft to being uh was it originally just one day? I think it was originally one day and then they moved it to two days and then they split it into three days. And I don't know about you, but it really frustrated me because I used to have a draft party. Yeah. Where I'd get a bunch of guys over and my dad and my mom, they were really into the draft and, and some friends and we'd all get together and we'd like cook up some barbecue and have some beer and all that good stuff. And it was fun. And then they split it into three days. And lately, with the Seahawks picking close to the end of the first round and, and kind of trading back and stuff, it it just doesn't even make sense anymore to, to get all those people together and then there's nothing there. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, they, they, they killed the draft party when they went to the Thursday, Friday, Saturday format. Uh, in part for that reason, because Seattle picks so late in the draft or in the first round, and sometimes they don't even pick in the first round because they either trade out or they trade their pick away. And then also in part because it's really hard to drink that heavily on a Thursday. <laughs> so, um, well, I guess that probably says more about me than it does the draft. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely has killed the draft party uh, at- atmosphere. Although I have to say I'm I'm doing the pizza and beer thing on Friday night with my with my mom and dad because they're like 74, 75 years old and they're still just like uber into it and um, they listen to the podcast regularly. Hello, mom and dad, and um, so it's really fun to watch them because uh, my dad and myself anyway have have really kind of done this as a tandem as a team the last twenty five years or so. So it's really kind of cool to still have that. And be able to do that. So we're going to do that Friday when we've got a, a load of picks on Friday. But today's podcast is going to focus on the type of players that the Seahawks are looking for and specific players. We're going to identify and go through specific guys that we think match up to the positions and priorities that the Seahawks need the most and focusing uh, that on the first three rounds since we've got five picks overall uh, to work with. Some of those may end up be traded. Uh, being traded for other picks later down the road. But right now we've got five picks and we're going to look at players as we go through 
the positions that we talked about actually in last week's uh, podcast where we talked about Seattle's draft needs and priorities. So uh, I thought we would just start off today with with one of those needs uh, that I had at the top of my list, was, which was cornerback. And we're going to go through three uh, guys that we think the Seahawks at least have on their radar. We may not uh, pick any of these guys, uh, but these are the guys that are kind of sitting at the top of the list that, that we've identified that might be available at least in the first three rounds. What do you got, Keith? Well, um, the top of my list is Kevin King out of Washington. Uh, but I think we should skip him since we already talked about him pretty extensively in our mock draft episode, which was two episodes ago. Um, and so the next guy, uh, especially if, if they if they hold on to that pick in the first round, uh, that I think they would look at, look at would be Marlon Humphrey out of Alabama. This is uh, a guy that fits the Seahawks mold. He is uh, really long, fast, uh, straight line speed. My player comp when I was watching the film and, and profiling him was Byron Maxwell. Um, but the end Byron Maxwell, right before he left, not the guy coming in that was a special teamer for a couple of years before he broke onto the scene. Um, I only have just a little concern with him as far as instead of being Byron Maxwell, he'd be Kelly Jennings. And the only reason that I said that is because he, I when I looked at him on, on film, it looked to me like he had problems um get uh, seeing the ball uh in the air and making a play on the ball and um it, it seemed like when he was beat it was beat because he he couldn't make a play on the ball and receivers would high point him yeah there's a little bit of that um i think part of it though is when i looked at what was going on he was being asked to uh he was being asked to pull, to basically guard on those deeper balls to, to guard both the inside and the outside. So he was more in a, in a trail and it just left him open. He was a little late getting turned around because he had to make sure that the, the receiver wasn't going to break late uh, either inside or outside. Where with, Why is he a better scheme fit for Seattle then? Well, because with, in Seattle, he's going to have Earl Thomas behind him. And so his responsibility is to not, <laughs> one, not get beat deep, but mainly to protect the boundary and, and to protect the outside because he's going to have help on the inside. So he can focus a little bit more on um, getting that position and that the, the leverage that he needs and get, getting turned around faster because if he turns around to look for the ball and the uh, receiver makes a late break, to the inside, well, that's going to be right into area 29. So I, I think he'll be a little bit uh, better off as far as that's concerned. But I do understand what you're saying. There is a there is a little bit of a question mark with him as far as, you know, the ball, squil- ball skills, but athletically Listen, he profiles hum- well. Marlon Humphrey was one of those guys that I, did, I kind of identified in October, November as somebody that I was going to keep an eye on. Um, and... You know, I never really wavered from that because I thought that he was a, a good physical fit for the Seahawks. And and he had that competitive edge and swagger thing that I thought would just be perfect for the Legion of Boom. You know, he's got all the physical attributes that you want at that position. And I think that the key with him there is um, is getting him in and learning the technique mm-hmm. and uh, and having him schooled by some of the best defensive backs in the entire NFL. And um, he would be a great pick. Yeah. One of the things that's that's undersold about him is his ability to come up and make tackles in the run game and, and just be a physical player. And, you know, that's the th- type of thing the Seahawks look for. If you look at, you know, Sherman and, and Maxwell and some of the other guys that the Seahawks have had, they've all been, you know, physical tacklers, even though they're cornerbacks. And that's, you know, just one of those things the Seahawks look for. And that's part of the reason why I identified him. And I think Kevin King, you'd mentioned first, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, the guy's got experience playing safety, both positions at safety he comes up. He's physical. He can play the he's a good ball skills so he can play the, the ball in the air, which I think is is important um, and, and may make the difference. I think if Kevin King was there and Marlon Humphrey was there, I think they might pick Kevin King. I, but would, I, I would think so, too. And I, you know. And I'm not sure where Marlon Humphrey falls in the draft, too. Do you stay at 26 to get him, or do you think you can move back in the very, very top of the second round and pick up a, a pick and he might still be there or no. another corner that they might like? I think if you're looking at Humphrey, um, I'm expecting him to go around 2021. And if he drops to 26, they're going to have a hard time passing up on him. I, th- I just think he goes a little earlier than 
you know, it's, it's right in there. Like 26 is kind of the, the, the floor of where I see him going. So um, we had a couple other corners on the, on the board uh, yep. for the Seahawks. What did you have? Well, if you look at round two, if they decide not to go the, the round one, um, cornerback and they go the round two, uh, I had Aleka Witherspoon, uh, out of Colorado. It's another guy who's, uh, really long. He's six, three. He's a little on the light side. Um, so, you know, he's 200 a little, pounds. yeah, a little thin. I mean, it was, you think, okay, 200 pounds for a, a cornerback, but when you're talking about a guy, someone who's six, three, right. That's the, he, for that height, he's, you know, not the, not the stoutest guy, but he's got some really good, uh, agility measurements, a lot of, um, you know, good three cone drill, these kind of things. Why, he is, why did he come on, uh, later in the season and after, uh, the senior bowl? Really because he played for Colorado. It's such a low profile um, program, at least especially at the beginning of the year before they won a few games and people started to take notice. And he just wasn't on people's radar. And it was kind of also when you start to get that tall for a cornerback, when you start to get above six one, there's a lot of scouts and people that are just – They'll, they'll just shy away from you because, you know, it's that traditional, you want him to be 5'11". Um, well, he was also part of like a talented trio of guys there at Colorado. Uh, Woozy was there, Cedric mm-hmm. Thompson. Um, so he was surrounded by good talent as well. But I agree. I mean, the guy was tied second for the nation and pass defenses at, at 20 balls, knocked down. He needs to add a little bit of strength and, and, and could use some more aggressive tackling instruction i think from the seahawks which is probably the best team for him to land as as far as uh becoming a better tackler but uh, i agree i mean in the second round i think if you pass on a guy in the first round even if you take a, a marlon humphrey or, or a king if if witherspoon is there and if you stay at 26 uh, pick in the second round and if he's there um it would be a hard one to pass up yep so you had a guy um that you picked up in our uh, mock draft episode that I thought we should probably talk about here because he's a really interesting player. Yeah, Rasul Douglas, and I'm I'm pegging him somewhere in the third round for the Seahawks if if uh, we still need a guy at that point in the draft. He went to West Virginia. He's a redshirt senior, 6'2", 209, so he's got really nice size. He's got 32 and 3 eighths arms. Um He's a very consistent guy throughout college, but in, in uh, 2016, he had 70 tackles, uh, three and a half for loss, eight pass, pass breaks up, breakups, and eight interceptions, which I think tied him for second in the nation. Um, he's got reads, uh, the quarterback, uh, really nice, great anticipation, good ball skills. Um, he seems like a good Seahawks scheme fit, and that's why I had him down. Yeah, he was a guy that um, came on late mainly because – like I don't, people just were skeptical, and then he went down to the Senior Bowl and really just held his own. Looked really good compared to you know the elite talent at the Senior Bowl, and kind of everyone you know stood up and took took notice. And he went from being a guy that people were thinking of as a you know fourth or fifth round project to being a second to third round you know guy that you can pick up and may start uh, at some point in year one. So it's a kind of a shift for him. He's got good tape. Um, the other thing I liked about him was he's a good tackler. And I actually originally, before the senior bowl, I thought he was going to project over as a free safety. He's got, you know, the speed for it. He's got, you know, the size and the, um, the, the, he just, he hits well for a corner. Right. And so I actually looked at him as a free safety and then he went down to the senior bowl and I was just, you know, getting a chance to watch him in one-on-ones against receivers and just hold up against guys that are, you know, smaller and quicker because he's plays them physically. And I'm like, wow, this is like someone who could definitely slide in and play. And again, uh, play since, corner. since you had uh, Sherman and originally Browner as part of the, the Legion of boom, those big tall uh, corners that uh, Seattle is really kind of uh, registered trademarked, if you will. And so here's another guy that's six, two and uh, two ten that, that kind of fits that mold, come up and press wide receivers and do that kick, step maneuver that they do in Seattle. And really, I think that, you know, eventually um, he could be a uh, number two corner for Seattle um, in Seattle's scheme. Yeah, agreed. Um, He maybe not 
week one of 2017, but fairly quickly. I think he's got a, he's a guy with the talent. So, um, so let's, let's move on to the guards and tackles and let's do them kind of as a group together. And we've got quite a few different names, so let's run through them fairly quick, but here's another position where you think that Seattle may be done because they picked up some guys in free agency, but why would they continue to look in the, in the early rounds, Keith? Well, because you've got, um, Jokel and Abushi that are both on one-year contracts. They just lost Gary Gilliam, um, who was thought of as a potential starter, and now it looks like he's gonna, you know, he's gone. So they 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 just really lack depth at, at tackle. Um, there, if they move Effetti out to tackle, then now they need they lack depth at guard, uh, and they're also depending on these guys on one-year contracts. So they need someone, even if they don't step in and play. Uh, you know, right away this year that they'll be available to play if somebody gets hurt and be ready to start a year from now. So it's a, definitely a position where they'll, they'll be looking. So which guy, uh, either guard or tackle, uh, that would fall to Seattle at 26 in the first round, do you like the best? Um, that would be Ryan Ramchick out of Wisconsin. Uh, if he hadn't had... Um, a hip injury that needed um, a scope in the this you know off season, he would probably be a top five, top ten pick somewhere in there. Uh, but teams are a little you know leery of of that that hip, so he may drop. I still think he goes in that uh, you know in the teens, maybe the early twenties. I don't think he gets all the way to Seattle, but if he's sitting there at twenty six, Seattle's got to take him. This is a guy who is a starting left tackle, which is and, something they uh, don't have. And Pete Carroll came out and said, you know, this year we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball better than we have before, and we're going to do whatever it takes, basically. And mm-hmm. he's the best run blocker in the draft, at least the way I've got it. Yeah, he is. He's And when the thing is, he, it's not like he's a bad pass blocker either. This is he's Right, a, he's right, a, right. He's a powerful a run blocker who moves defenders, but he's also got quick enough feet to be that guy who can protect the, the blind side by himself without, you know, having a tight end there to help him. And, and I just really like his game. I think he's a solid, you know, franchise left tackle. And the only reason why he isn't going to be in the top 10 is because of that hit. Uh, so I, if he's available, I think they have to go with him. Another guy who's similar is uh, Garrett Bowles out of Utah. This guy has probably the well, except for Ram Ramcheck has the uh, the best tape of any of the guys in. I think Garrett Bowles is slightly more athletic. He is. He's he's a more he's more athletic if you look at like his 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 combine numbers. Although we didn't get combine numbers from Ramcheck because of the injury, but just looking at his tape, he's better in space. So when he's um, out in front, you know, getting to the second level and blocking linebackers, you. So he might be a scheme fit, uh, just an ideal scheme fit guy in his own scheme that we run. Absolutely. The one um, red flag on Bulls is that he'll be 26 before he plays his first NFL game. And the the problem that you run into, it's not saying, oh, well, he's too old. But when you start to look at players historically um, who are older prospects like that, the, the, the hit rate is really, really low. I mean, no matter how good their tape is, they just don't seem to develop anymore. Uh, once they hit get to the NFL, they don't improve. They still are who they were in college, and basically everyone passes them by. And so there's there's a lot of concern with that with Bowles, whether or not he's going to, you know, be as good as we think he's going to be. I think he's a Seahawk player. I mean, he plays with a mean streak. He's uh, overcome some adversity, some personal uh, character st- stuff early on in his life, and uh, but. You know, he he does play and can stay on the left side, I think, at the NFL level. And I wouldn't mind the pick. I mean, either one of those picks, I, I think it would be okay. It's it's going to be really hard for me, I think, in this draft to pick an offensive lineman in the first round when I know all those really good defensive backs are sitting around. It's going to be hard, hard for me. And maybe even a couple of uh, defensive tackles or Ed Rushers that might still be there too. So I I... I don't know how I'm going to deal with that, but I think you're pretty good with that because you're more of a kind of an offensive line kind of guy as well, far as, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's more of my, my preference and it's, you know, how I kind of, um, 
got my start in terms of scouting and stuff is I, is just knowing the offensive line and learning all the intricacies of, of footwork and hand placement and, and all that kind of stuff. So I would be okay with them picking a good offensive lineman because then I'd get to watch a good offensive lineman on Sundays and that would be much better than last year or I didn't so let's get a chance stick, to do so. That's true. <laughs> let's stick with uh, tackles really quick and go with the last one on our list that might be available, say in the, well, he's probably going to end up going in the second round. I mean, I don't think he's going to last all the way to the end of the third when Seattle picks. But if we decided to move a little bit, move back either out, out of the first or move up into the second, uh, Taylor Moten is another guy we had on our list. Oh, this is a guy who, if he played for a Power 5 school, he would be being talked about, you know, at, um, you know, in the first round, probably in the 20s, somewhere in that range. But he didn't. He played for... Um, a little tiny uh, school. Western and, Michigan. Yes, there Western you go. Um, and, you know, there's a level of competition concerns. He's also a guy who, because of that, he's a little sloppy in some of his te- technique because he could just dominate the competition without having to... Um, Without having to be perfect with his technique, and he was still you know dominant. he did play he did play for Western Michigan, but he did hold his own against Ohio State, and he shut down Dwayne Smoot this yeah, season. Absolutely, and that that was really what turned me on to him was you go and you look at um, you look at you know the, the, those games, and you see okay, he actually has when he's focused and and actually trying to be be good with his technique he can still shut down you know top uh players in in the nation and i just he's gonna have to do that consistently at the nfl at the nfl level he's just never had to he's never had to be that focused week in and week out as far as the little fine points of his technique because when you're playing for western michigan and you're playing teams like central michigan they just don't have the athletes so he could be sloppy and still dominate did you have any other tackles at all in the draft that you might look at in, the, in uh, a little bit later? Uh, the one that I really liked uh, was Julian Davenport. Uh, and he was in your mock, right? He, and he was in my mock. He's a kind of a, a fourth, um, maybe a fifth, but I don't know. It just he, I just don't think he'll drop that far because there's not many tackles in this draft. But so probably a fourth round guy. He's more of a project. He's big, long, like super long arms. Uh, just got a ton of length, but you like it uh, at tackle just because it makes it hard for the the ends to get around the edge. But his he's basically he's raw. I mean he's he's not quite George Fant raw, but he's a guy that needs a lot of technical work uh, before he's ready. So he's a project, a guy that you'd come in and, and teach, and hopefully he'd be ready a year from now. Are there any guards that you would look at in the first round, Keith? So there is one, but I would be hard-pressed to take him just because he's a guard, and the CX really don't need a guard that badly, or you're going to pass on defensive players for him. But Forrest Lamp is... He's a stud. I mean, he's just a guy who can just flat out play. He's was a left tackle in college. He'll move inside because he's got really short arms, uh, and you don't want that uh, for a tackle. In fact, his arms he's got actually, thirty-two and a quarter arms. I thought they were, which 30. is about I I, I saw thirty-two and a quarter on NFL.com. I saw NFL. I saw, thir- I saw thirty-one and three quarters. Um, okay. So, I, but you know, one of the things with arm measurements is. It's amazing how arm length changes between the senior bowl and uh, the combine, <laughs> That's um, right. which is something you wouldn't expect to change, but yet it does. Um, so, yeah, that might be too much to overcome for the Seahawks. Yeah, and, and but, th- they like long-armed offensive linemen, uh, but you look at Lamp's tape, and it is just it's just really good. He's got incredible feet, uh, which which is he was a tackle he was a left tackle you know size concerns he's you know why they would why he'd move inside but then you look at yep. it, you know he also would just dominate in the run game and just drive guys you know five six yards off the line of scrimmage yeah okay, good well, feet good leverage yep and you just look at him and you go this guy can play and you stick he's the type of guy you'd stick at left guard and just forget about him and 10 years later he's still dominating and you don't they have to do worry an, about it. Can they do an Effetti type move uh, in this draft where they drop back out of 26? Say they've identified him. They believe that he's going to be available in the top five picks of the second round. Find a partner to move back on. He might be their target guy. I mean, you never know with the Seahawks. They they might just be like, we need to come out with, with one of these top linemen out of the draft 
that's how important you know our run game is, our pass game, uh, protecting Russell Wilson. We're gonna we're gonna do that. I, I just don't know if Forrest Lamp is gonna be higher rated on their board than some of these defensive players we're gonna talk about a little later. Yeah, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to t- go the offense route or a, a guard, especially a guard over well, let's talk some about, of the defensive players. Let, let's talk about a couple guys that might be available a little later then. How about Dan Feeney? So Dan Feeney, he's out of Indiana. Um, he looks the part. He's big. He's got that bubble around the middle, stocky legs, um, powerful guy, guy, you know, pushes people back. My concern with him is, is it's a more of a scheme fit with Seattle because he doesn't block well in space. So when he's being asked to get to the second level and block a linebacker, he's going to miss um, guys. The guys are going to be able to get around him. He doesn't move well. Uh, he is a better fit for if you know put him in a put him in a phone booth where he blocks the guy directly in front of him, and he's going to do fine. But you ask him to block in space a little bit to fan out. Um, you know, in those outside zone runs where he's being forced to to block a guy on the move and and move laterally. I just don't think it's going to fit well. But at the same time, I was going to say, he he is one of the better guards available in this draft. And if the Seahawks are like, look, there's just not a lot of talent um, beyond him. I think there's probably one or two other players beyond him. Well, I didn't want to surprise you with a name, but I was thinking of another guy that's kind of popped up this week that I've seen a few times is Dorian Johnson from Pittsburgh. Um, as as being a possible fit. Do you have any notes or information on him? Yeah, I do. Um, he was a guy that I actually I, he's getting a little bit more play recently, which is making me doubt whether my my round uh selection for him is right. But so I've got him in the in the late three uh, range, which is. The Seahawks have three picks in that, so that's a possibility. Um, the reason why I, I, I haven't really had him on my Seahawk radar is more that I saw him as a guy who, with, I didn't see him as just that powerful run blocker that can just drive people back. And he was more of a guy who who wins with technique and getting guys. But turned. isn't but isn't that isn't that part of the Seahawks scheme? Kind of, it is, but it's not. I mean, it's. It's what the CX, it's its own blocking. So you'd think they'd want technicians, but it's Tom Cable. So he wants Maulers to do to, uh, in a scheme that benefits if you've got guys with good technique. So um, yeah, it's just, right, it's a weird right. combination. I just, it's a matter, it's not a matter that he's a bad player. He'd be, I think he'd be fine. You get him, stick him in at right, at right guard and, and go with it. But I don't think the Seahawks and Tom Cable will target him, I guess is, is the, what I was trying to say there. How about Isaac uh, Asiata, who we, I think, both identified in our mock? Yeah. What round would he be looking at? I think he's more of the like the Seahawks' first third-round pick. Um, they might have to move up in round three to get him, or if they move down in their, from their second-round pick at 26. Why, why would he be intriguing? Uh, he's just an above-average athlete. He blocks better in space than most guards do, and... You know he's got decent feet. I mean he's got he's a little sloppy in some of his technique. You see him drop his head a little bit when he gets up on a linebacker, and when you drop your head, that means you're not looking at who you're blocking, and he'll miss occasionally. And there's some some definite technique things that that need cleaned up. So but, would Seattle spend a third round pick on a on a guy that they know might not be able to come in right away? Needs more time to develop. Or would they opt to spend a pick on the line later on? Where it's it, that's hard to, hard to answer because I think it depends on how much they look at the offensive line and say, okay, maybe, maybe they don't need a starter because they're okay with who they have right now, but they need an eventual starter, a starter next year. Um, you know, they've got five picks in the first three rounds, and they go, you know, we can use one of them on a guy who's. Uh, going to be depth this year and a starter next year, and so I could see the, them them doing that. It's also I, I at the same time I could see them saying, you know what, there are too many really good defensive players that, that we can come in, give them a role they can play right now, they can contribute right now. Let's go get that instead. So uh, it, we will find out on Saturday, really, what it comes down to Friday and Saturday, because I just I could see them going in both directions with guards. So let's move over to the defense again and talk about some outside linebacker edge type guys. 
that we think the Seahawks probably will have on their radar. Um, we've got three guys that are on our list, but there are probably three or four other guys in the in the third round area, uh, mm-hmm. second round that would also, uh, in fact, a couple guys that might even possibly drop to them, like uh, McKinley, Tech McKinley. Um, Tim Williams is is an intriguing name for me. We didn't have on our list. Of course, uh, Reddick, if he somehow were to drop for Seattle, or maybe they are targeting him uh, with a move up in the first round. You know, we just don't know. But if we stay where we're at, these are three guys that we're looking at. Tyus uh, Bowser was the first name I had on my list. Yeah, he was the guy that you uh, mocked to Seattle. I think in round two, if I remember right, uh, from our mock draft episode. Um, and then the guy that I had was. Uh, Derek Rivers, Rivers. Uh, right. who we picked in the, in the exact same slot, that second round, and they're very similar players. Same. Well, and I don't know about you, but the more I talk about these guys, the more nervous I'm getting as far as, oh my God, I need to leave the draft with one of these guys, you know, because <laughs> we really need a guy like this on our team. And yep. if we don't move up in the second round or if we don't reach for a guy in the first round or something, I feel like I'm going to leave the draft with, with nothing and then I'm not, I'm not going to be happy, so... Talk me off the ledge. Um, I think the the talking you off the ledge on the, the outside linebacker is just that they Seahawks play the nickel seventy percent of the time, and if they go get a cornerback, um, one of the cornerbacks that we've talked about, they are going to be set up and ready to continue to play the nickel seventy percent of the time. So we're talking about a player that, that you know thirty percent of the snaps unless they can also prove that they deserve playing time at defensive end as as a pass rusher. So uh Right, you're right. So so that that's talking you off the ledge. But with the two guys that we've talked about, Rivers and Bowser, they're very similar guys, right? There are the uh two forty eight to two fifty range. They're both um in the high four fives as far as speed. So they've got some, you know, good, uh, good size, speed combination, aggressive, uh, played, uh, more defensive end at the, uh, collegiate level. So, you know, they, they've got some of the, the pass rush skills, but they've got the other things that you need for a guy that can, can occasionally drop back in coverage the way Bruce Irvin would. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've got a good skill set overall with both of them. My only concern on both those guys was uh, Bowser was from Houston. Rivers is from Youngstown State. Talk to me about the level of competition that those guys face during the year. And how, would that make any difference at the NFL level? The old linebacker is the one position where I worry about that the least. And part of that is uh, Bobby Wagner, who played for Utah State um, and came in as a rookie and just was dominant and and I who just, backed up who backed up Wagner last year? Oh, Brock Coyle. And, who was and where Monta- did he come from? Montana, right? Um, so and who uh, at the end of the year who was the backup on the strong side? It was uh, Jordan Tripp who went to Montana. Uh, so right. you, you get these guys. Small linebacker. It's 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 instinct. It's see it. You know, hit the hole. Get up there and make the tackle. Um, if you have the athleticism and, you know, your brain just is wired right to get up and make that hit, it really, it's, it's the same game, uh, whether you're playing at Youngstown's town state or, or Alabama. So it's like the one position where I really don't concern myself with level of competition. Uh, so that's the, why for those two guys, I, I just, am not the only thing, it. the only thing between Bowser and Rivers that I thought that made a difference for me slightly is I think that. Um, Bowser right now is a better athlete than he is a football player. And Rivers is a better football player right now to me. Um, and, and it just really depends on, again, some of the intangibles. And, and we we kind of passed over our, our opening in the draft because I got so excited about getting to the players that we kind of we were going to talk about what the Seahawks do to evaluate uh, players and how they come to, to rate guys um, in their system. Uh, how they grade guys uh, compared to their own players and how they identify players um, outside of just what they look at on film. They're looking at guys that have the right stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We did skip that. And I didn't even realize it because I was so excited to jump in and talk about players. Um, but, yeah, so they do they do a, a pretty extensive look at uh, what makes a guy tick? You know, how much do they love football? How much do they uh, 
how much are they driven to work during the off season to get better at their craft too? Uh, you know, are they someone who is in it for the paycheck and, you know, the lifestyle or do they really just love the game and how, how much are they going to work at it? And these are the types of things that we as, you know, as uh, media members don't have access to. We don't get a chance to do the interviews and to, to talk with their college coaches and, you know, that kind of stuff. But we, uh, the, the Seahawks especially put a lot of emphasis on that. They try and draft guys with, you know, especially like they draft offensive linemen that have that, you know, just desire to, to crush people. And they put a lot of focus on that attitude. And then, you know, defensive players, they want them to be, um, you know, to have that swagger, that brashness to them. They, they, they look at those attitude parts to go along with, you know, the work ethic parts, and they really develop a profile for the guys other than the athleticism in the film. Well, I had a good quote from, from Pete Carroll. Now, this is a couple of years old, and this is uh, before the uh, – this is in the combine, at, uh, the 2015 combine. He said the, a great science of this draft business is trying to figure out what is the makeup of an ath- athlete and what kind of competitor you get when you draft him. And he, he went on to say, the most important, important characteristic is grit, he continued. That's the most crucial characteristic that helps somebody be successful. If they continue to hang, continue to fight, and that's the competitiveness we're looking for, there's always a chance that they can pull it together. If you do a little homework, read up on what grit is all about. It's about persistence and resiliency and an inner strength and a belief that you can get it done. That's what's most important. If guys don't have that, you can only take them so far. Yep. Um, You look at, there's a a player that the Seahawks drafted. It was really early in the Pete Carroll, um, John Snyder era. Um, A safety, I think his name was Mark Legree. Was it Legree or Legray? Something like that. Yes, Um, yes, yes, yes. Like a fourth round guy. Yeah, and uh, never just... Just completely never just, heard from him again. Yeah, he didn't ju- make it out of camp. Yeah, he just just evaporated um, out of the NFL. And uh, so Schneider talked about him, didn't use his name, but it was really easy to connect the dots. And uh, a couple of years later, somebody, one of the uh, beat writers, asked him about you know his misses and his and his failures, and and he he brought that one up and said that he looked at a guy as far as athleticism and his tape. And he reminded him of someone that he had in green Bay. And so he overvaluated him, but forgot to that. What made the the player that he had in green Bay great was how hard he worked and how much he loved the game. And just saw that as one Schneider saw that as one of his like major mistakes, uh, at, you know, in the draft up to that point. So I thought that was like right. kind of a really telling quote of how much, the team and especially Schneider really value kind of that intangible aspect of players. Well, and this is what can throw a curveball into all of our, our punditry, if you will, is all of that stuff. We just don't have access to it. I mean, yep. we might hear little tidbits now and again. And, you know, if you're really paying attention to a guy, if, if you watch uh, university of Washington football, you kind of get it uh, about certain guys, but, um, you know, most of the time we just don't have time to deep dive that far into a player like uh, our scouting departments do uh, in the NFL, and um, so that sometimes make a di- makes a difference. Well, obviously it does uh, as to where the Seahawks have a player on their draft board compared to where we might have a player for them. So yeah. everything might look look like it's a perfect scheme fit to us, but Seattle's completely written them off because they don't have the intangibles that they need. Yep. So that's one of the things is you and I, when we go through and do this, we look for athletic profile. We look at tape. We look at, you know, and not just with the athletic profile, but matching that athletic profile up to Seattle's history. You know, like we, we know they want long corners and that kind of stuff, but um, we are missing that piece. And that's one of the things that makes us, makes us hard. It also is what makes it fun because it gives us a chance to, to guess and prognosticate and get stuff wrong and laugh right. at our own mistakes. Well, I think it, enjoy it. it's, it's hard for everybody, not yep. just us, but for, for all, you know, the pros, the, the Kuipers of the world, you know, Mayox, everybody, um, they've got these inside information tidbit things that they, they, they kind of have access to and they use, they, they do use that, but most guys we, we're just, we're just guessing just yep. like everybody else. So yep. one other guy that we had, uh, out an edge, uh, outside, uh, linebacker guy was TJ Watt. Good pedigree. 
Great pedigree. Um, you know, you got that Watt name. Uh, this is a guy, okay, so he's a guy I would love to see in a Seahawk uniform. Just straight up, he would look really good in a Seahawk uniform. Be that strong side linebacker, come up, rush the passer. He is not great at anything. He's not great in coverage. He's not great, you know, against the run. He's not great as a pass rusher. But he is very good at everything. He's gonna got that whole jack of all trades thing, which is what you want from this position because That's they need true. they need to be able to do everything, and you don't want them to have a weakness. It would be nice if he was a really good pass rusher. Uh, when given that opportunity, or if he was just absolutely shut down in coverage the way uh, KJ Wright is, or something like that. But the fact I that agree. He- I mean, he was he was good all the way around, but he only did it in one year. He was a one year starter, but yeah. in that one year, Keith, he had sixty three tackles. He had fifteen and a half tackles for loss, and then he had eleven and a half sacks. Yeah, he, I so- mean, at Wisconsin, so a big school production guy. Mm-hmm. And. and he- uh, he is, like you said, he's. I don't consider him great at any of those three aspects of of playing Sam, but he is very, very good at all of them, and that's just the kind of well-rounded player. And as really a one-year starter, I don't, you know, he's not at his ceiling. There's a lot of growth that I believe right. is, is left well, there at, at his NFL uh, uh, markup uh, write-up. You know, they they said that he was a better linebacker right now than an edge guy, mm-hmm. but you know not really a great edge guy. You still had 11 and a half sacks. Yeah. I mean, there's potential all over that. Um, and if he can put it together and he can, you know, he, he plays, like you said, 30% of the snaps on the, on the Seahawks comes in, does special teams. It would be a great pickup. Now in order to get him, you're either going to have to reach for him at 26, I think a little bit, mm-hmm. or you're going to have to figure out a way to get back into the top of the second round or, Conversely, if he's still there in the middle of the second round, you go up and get him. Yeah, the thing I think I picture him as as someone in the in the forties as far as where he goes. But I look and I see that Watt name, and I go, mm, he may, ha- you may have to pick him at twenty six if you want him, because he's going to go higher than his skill set might uh, indicate because of the fact that, you know, he's. People are, are looking for the next, uh, the next, you know, big playmaker, and and he's going to come in with a lot of hype, and he'll sell jerseys, and he'll get excitement during the preseason yeah. and training camp, and you know, teams will reach a little bit for, for that kind of stuff. But we still I have think another. I would say we have yep. um, we're at forty minutes, and we still have two positions to do. So let's uh, yep. let's move this along a little bit. Well, I think another guy to look for though, real quick, is Tim Williams. Just, just another guy to look for. I think you know there's been a little bit of buzz. I'm hearing yep. that Seattle might have him on their radar as well. Um, let's talk defensive tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know every year. I think you have to infuse a little bit of talent into your defensive line in Seattle. Um, that's definitely where it all happens for Seattle. You hear about the Legion of Boom, but the Legion of Boom doesn't happen unless you've got guys up front that are pushing the pocket and making a big difference. Okay, so you know the defensive tackles. Malik McDowell is our our guy at the top, and and the reason for that is we brought him in for a visit recently. Um, we there's some question marks on him though, as far as his. Well, there's a couple of things, character concerns. Number one, number two, there is some inconsistency there. Bad footwork, struggles with double teams, production, work ethic. All that kind of stuff have kind of confounded scouts as far as where he would fall in the draft. Is he a? He's got first round talent when he's on, but when he's off, he could be a second round guy that you could pick up. Yeah, see, the Seahawks have actually had him in. They've shown a bunch of interest in him, and it's it's really interesting because you look at he he's not the elite prospect that Indomitian Sue is, but he's got kind of that um, that reputation where he just. Uh, an, uh, an offensive lineman will get under his skin, and then you see him more going after the offensive lineman and trying to, you know, dominate that player than do his job and and uh, you know get after the quarterback or make the plays on the running back and that kind of stuff. So it's it's a little it's hard to pick him, you know, where he's going to be. But this is a guy with first round talent if he can actually keep his head on straight. So well, and for listeners too, this this guy isn't so much of a run stuffer, although he can do that. But this is more of a guy that's going to push that pocket, disrupt the the passing lanes um, for Seattle right up the right up the middle is kind of a three tech. 
oh yeah, I mean this is a guy who who can just he can he can get after the quarterback. But the other thing that he does is he can stuff the run, especially on outside runs, because he'll knife through a gap so quickly that he can, you know, get up onto the running back before they can, you know, get going. Um, and so he'll 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 make plays and, and get tackles for loss, or even if he doesn't get the tackle, he'll bust up the running play, and, you know, and give everyone else a chance to get there. I mean, this is a a, a, a gap penetrator. This is someone who will, will get in to the backfield and, and cause some havoc. He's not you know, a Jerron Reed that's going to be in the nose tackle and, and two gap and where, you know, just load up the middle. Where would Seattle need to take him in the draft? So I have a hard time evaluating that because of the, the, the character parts. Talent-wise, if you look just at his tape when he flashes, he looks like a mid-first round, you know, late teens kind of guy. Um, I would say, you know, someone probably somewhere between 26 and 40. You know he's going to be in that group because there's a there's a large group of guys that are kind of similarly talented that that are all in that group, which is why trading down for Seattle is such a good idea because you can get as long as you can get one of any of that group, you're right. going to be okay. Well, and I think he's going to be one of the guys in that group. Well, and he's a very intriguing player because he's got such a high ceiling, but and untapped potential. But again, going back to what we just talked about a little bit earlier, evaluating the intangibles, that's what it's going to be all about with him. So well, it'll be curious mm-hmm. to see what happens. Um, and I'll, I, you've got to trust the process with Seattle on this one if they pick him. I, the, yep. the next guy we had on the list is intriguing to me, which is Montrevious Adams. Uh, looks Adam like, Auburn. yeah, looks like. I bet you he gets. I bet you people get nervous about missing out on him, and I bet you he, he ends up in the second round somewhere or top of third. What do you think? I think that's about right. Um, I've got him somewhere in the probably the late fifties, early sixties. Um, I also might be a little uh, a little high on him compared to what other people have, just because I am looking for a pass rusher, and he is that. He's he's undersized, and I think he came in at like three oh four, if I remember right, uh, at their pro day, and but he was not that big last year. Um, and I don't think that's his playing weight. I think his playing weight is going to be down around 295, um, yeah. maybe even lower by the end of the season. He isn't a big guy. He isn't a guy that's going to uh, offer you much against the run, like much at all. Yeah, so Adams Adams is definitely intriguing. He was a consistent performer, three-year starter. Um, so he would definitely be a, an interesting prospect in the uh, for the Seahawks uh, to, to kind of help them with that kind of push the pocket kind of presence that they think they need. Um, so, and we had one more guy uh, that you had brought up uh, to put on the list is Davon Godchow. Uh, what, what's up with that guy? So what I got for Godchow is he's a, more of a situational guy, a guy who's going to um, not start, but play, you know, a significant amount if you're in the nickel and that kind of thing. Uh, he's a guy with a really quick first step, active hands, gets up the middle, um, really, to me, his uh, perfect comp would be uh, Clinton, Mc, um, Clinton McDonald, who the Seahawks had for uh, you know a number of years there in the middle, and then they just have not been able to replace uh, as you know since he left. They've tried, but they, they just haven't been able to get rid of his production, his ability to be disruptive up the center and passing downs, and that's he's just a good fit there. I think he's going to be someone you can get at the end of the third round. Um, maybe in the fourth, somewhere in that area. The problem with him is that he just offers nothing as a run stopper. If he's in there and they run up the middle, you're almost going to be playing like with, with, you know, down a guy because he just does not have an anchor um, to hold up against that. And he doesn't even seem to try to his, he just tries to get into the gap and rush. And, and that just when he, he dives into a gap like that on a running play, that means that they, uh, the, the right. guard or the center, whichever one is, you know, uh, assigned him can just push him out of the way fairly easy. Well, so. it sounds like that that needs to be coached up a little bit. It, but a guy that might be a rotation type guy that that might be on the radar though, yeah. you know, in that range. It is someone that they can they they can get use out of uh, right away in that in that rotational role. Uh, but then you know, coach him up and, and see if you can develop in, him into being you know more of a complete player down the road. I think one area uh, of draft need and priority that we had left uh, was uh, the safety uh, mm-hmm. spot. Um, both 
strong end, free safety, or a guy that can play a little of both. The first guy on our radar, I think we both fell in love with um, shortly after the, the Senior Bowl, and then at the Combine, he just blew it up. Obi Melafuanu, or Wu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what yep. do you think? Well, I mean, he had a 44-inch vertical and a 4-440 looking... at... Six four two twenty four. Oh my God! I mean, that's so sparked up. I think he just set the the definition because it's just it's nuts. Yeah, you, if you're looking for a pure athlete, like just straight up pure athlete, you're not going to find one better, especially at that size for a safety. Best athlete is, in the draft. Yeah, he has all of the the speed and explosion and, and you know everything that you want. Um, out of a free safety in the body of a strong safety. I mean, this guy's almost as big as Cam Chancellor, and he runs almost as good as Earl Thomas. So he, yeah. he's that and you special could, and, of an and athlete. And he could play corner, you know, in, yeah. in sub-packages. Yeah, it might be one of those things where the Seahawks, you know, use him in a situation like they tried with Eric Pinkins, where um, they come in and they go, yeah, you know, you've never played corner, but we're going we're gonna to try you out there and see what happens. Um and that might be, you know, a situation where they, they teach him, you know, some of the corner stuff while he learns, you know, the safety things as well. And he can just be a, a, a rotational guy that can do everything. Yeah, he's definitely um, one of those guys that you, you get excited about in the draft. But also, though, there are a couple of question marks there where I'm I'm thinking that he might be overvalued slightly, overdrafted, even especially if he goes at 26. I'm just not sure. I just... You know, I'm really excited about him early on, and then as time has gone on, I've just kind of have a little bit of question marks as far as the tape is concerned. Like he's a he's a tremendous athlete, but what's how is he as a football player? That's that is that's the real concern with him because you look at it depends on which game you watch. If you watch when he played against uh, West Virginia, he looked really good and he just. Uh, looked like a very good player, but if you go and you watch his other games, there's a lot of bad routes to balls where he, you know, does, um, you know, doesn't take the the right angle. There's a lot of plays where he comes up to make a uh, uh, a play on the run and then completely overruns the play and you know a little cutback and and he's beat. And there's just there's some definite football concerns uh, there where he's going to require some work and he may not be ready to be that guy right away or you know and if he can't ever kind of fix some of those instinct issues he may never be that guy uh and so there are some concerns and i think that's why he would drop if he if they've, all they've had, had they've just, they've had him in for four visits so i mean they're yeah. clearly like totally interested in this guy it's the question of can he be coached is he coachable? Is he a coachable player? Does he match all the intangibles that they are looking at that we haven't been able to identify? And where does he fall? Where does, yeah. is, he, is he there at 26 and do they take him at 26? Or do they feel like they, they can get him in the first four or five picks of the second round? It'll be interesting because I think in order to get him, you probably have to get him at 26. And in fact, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if somebody else is already intrigued and he, he'd go a little earlier. Mm-hmm. So How about Josh they, Jones? Well, yeah, say if, if they miss out on um, on Obi Minifanu, there are a couple of different players that they can they can look at that I think may not they're not going to be as exciting and they're not going to have that like uh, hey look we just got the, we just drafted the best athlete in the in the draft class but they're still really good players that really fit. Yeah, I totally agree, and Keith. Wants. And and Josh Jones is one of those. This is a guy who's. Uh, 6'1", 220. He plays strong safety, but he runs really well, like a 4'4". I think it was 4'4", 1 um, in the 40, 11-inch broad jump. So, you know, or 11-inch, 11-foot broad jump. I mean, this so he's an explosive athlete. And too. a tremendous production guy at the mm-hmm. at a safety position, 109 tackles, four yeah. tackles for loss, three interceptions, eight pass breakups. The guy's all over. He's got, uh, you know, full range, field range uh, speed. Sideline to sideline, um, good yep. reactive quickness. He has experience at both safety spots, which could be critical to Seattle if they get him in the second round. Yeah, see, and that's where I've got him is is kind of an end of the second round guy. To me, he's more of a, a strong safety than a free safety. Uh, kind of Kelsey McCrayish. I mean, he can he has experience at both, but 
better at strong safety. He's he's a he's better at near the line of scrimmage where he's taking think, on tight ends. Do you think him being just uh, six one uh, makes that more of a challenge in the NFL? A little bit, yeah. Uh, you, you know, the if you look at the pro, the prototype for Seattle's strong safety is always going to be Cam Chancellor while his right. current coaching staff is here, and you know you're, you're giving up three inches there. Um, Going from from Chancellor to Jones, so that's a, that's going to be a bigger deal. I, he needs to, they need to kind of decide on the position. I actually think with you look at his um, his physicals, I think he projects as a free safety. But then you look at his tape and you go, he's a guy that plays well up near the line of scrimmage and you know take you know taking on tight ends and covering and that kind of stuff. So right. I. He's more versatile than that, but we'll see. I mean, and that's why I think he might be a good scheme fit for Seattle because I think Seattle yeah. values that. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with a. To me, he's a guy that if they don't get Obi Menafanu, it might be beneficial because you can get a guy like Josh Jones in round two, and you're not missing anything. I, I mean, you're, you're getting a really good player that can do the things that Menafanu does, and you're getting him around later. So that it's just a value issue, for right? Me. And I and we had another guy. In fact, he was in your mock, Marcus May, uh, mm-hmm. six foot guy, two oh seven, but a, a four star recruit. Uh, junior year was a first year, uh, first team All American. Um, he had a, a medical uh, something something where he was missed four games, last four games. Um, I think he broke his arm, something like that. But he's mm-hmm. he's got that sideline to sideline speed, um, can play both safety spots. Um, what what do you have on Marcus May, and why would he be a good scheme fit for Seattle? Well, the thing with May is so you know how we were talking about how Jones was more um, more inside than or more strong safety than than free safety. Um, May is kind of the opposite. He's more free safety than strong safety, but he can do both. Uh, he's more of a he's he's good in coverage. He's a guy you can trust, you know, to get all over the field and and uh, you know make plays. Uh, definitely a major upgrade to a guy like uh, Stephen Terrell. Uh, and so that that's where I kind of I saw him. But he so he's not as big. He's only six six foot oh um, two oh seven. So he's not as big as Jones and not anywhere close to as big as Menafanu. But he plays well. He makes tackles uh, up near the line of scrimmage. Uh, plays the run well. So he's a guy that you can trust. To, you know to do those things when you need to. And you know, plus the Seahawks have uh, had different guys that they've brought in that have been smaller, uh, um, strong safeties. Uh, and then of course they've you know. Most of them have worked out, and they end up on other teams and that kind of thing. But they have—they seem to be this. There seems to be this constant um, cycling of guys that kind of fit that same mold. And May is in that same, you know, uh, athletic profile, but he's just a better player. Uh, and so it's just one of those guys that I just look at, and I—I th- I think he just looks kind of sea hockey. He's athletic. He's makes good tackles, great in coverage, good ball skills down the field. So it's just a good fit. So I think that's going to wrap it for us. We've, we've got lots of other players and position groups that we really haven't touched upon, but we're running out of time now, and we have kind of gone over what we're going to be looking for in the first three rounds of the draft for the Seahawks and kind of highlighted the, the position groups that are probably more uh, more positions of need for Seattle. Certainly, they could be looking at tight ends. They could look for a wide receiver. In fact, I think it's probably likely that they do. Running back, Mm -hmm. uh, quarterback. Schneider came out this week in in this week's press conference and indicated that they may be looking at a quarterback, at least to compete um, with Boykin back there for the number two position. Uh, We've talked about a kicker before in in our mock drafts. and, And so there's other spots out there, but we could be here for three hours talking about players and i think the best thing that we could probably do at this point is just let the draft happen and come back after the draft and we'll talk about all of our treasure that we, that we got on thursday friday saturday what do you think i think it's gonna be great next week's show is gonna be after the draft we will get together and talk about who they got who they didn't get that they could have gotten and um just a bit of fun for of looking at, at all the new Seahawks. Yeah, all the new toys. 
<laughs> yep, lots of new toys. Right. So great to have you again, Keith. Uh, good show. Uh, next week's going to be uh, probably the the fun one out of all the shows that we've done so far. That'll be the the one that's uh, that's the most gratifying because then all the players land and we kind of know what we've got going forward. So it'll be kind of easier to project uh, the team from there. So mm-hmm. until next time, enjoy the draft. Have a beer for me, and uh, I'll have one for you. And we'll that we'll, we'll get together on Tuesday and we'll compare notes. All right. Excellent. We'll see you next time, Keith. Yep, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWCHawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.